My friend Tony has set himself a challenge. For the month of February, he'll be feeding himself for a dollar a day. This means buying only the bare minimum and growing most of what he needs from his garden. He can also trade what he grows for any little extras. It's a big challenge, and in this podcast, we'll find out how he goes. My name's Roz Percy, and I'm chatting with Tony Tang. I myself, I, I can't see myself ever going as extreme as saying I'm going to try and live on a dollar a day. But I'm really interested in the lessons that you learn so I can go somewhere in between. I can improve what I'm currently doing. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I think as long as someone gets something out of it, I think it's uh, it'll be worthwhile. Like I, I'd, I'd never thought of doing anything different to preserving eggs than just salting them, right? That's just the Asian way mm. of, of eating them. And I never even thought of pickling them. It, just the idea doesn't appeal to me at all, but I'm going to give it a go. And food, food has changed so much. Um, maybe in the last 20 years of, of my life anyway, because everything is available. We, we, we don't eat by our season anymore. We, we, everything you want to eat is there and available all year round. So there's no need to preserve anything. Like we don't we don't even have to go shopping on a Thursday night or a Saturday morning anymore mm. because the shops are trading 7 days a week. Most of them trade till 10 p.m. or midnight. So there is no chance that you can't get to a supermarket and buy fresh food at at any time. And yet it, it does lead you into some very strange and, and quite bad habits. It's not just about nutrition and food. Um, it's pretty current in my mind because I, I today I was just meeting up with my financial advisor, um, was talking about my savings plans and all the rest of it and my budget. And I was thinking about how tempting it is to overspend. And because of the, the shopping hours that are available to you, where you don't kind of plan ahead for a week or a month of what you're going to eat and what you're going to do, you can end up overspending enormously on stuff that you just end up throwing out. Yeah. And you're taught into those habits. So, you know, I know we talk about it in terms of health, but it's also in terms of money. I'm not even sure if, if it's economical um, in the way that we, we shop anymore uh, because most most people, oh, I suppose, in, in my circle of friends, we we don't struggle in any way. So if you, if you feel like eating a particular dish, then you just go and buy the ingredients fresh and cook it there and then. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely not. Um, the way that our shopping habits have developed, it discourages you from using substitutes. Um, and then also potentially from discovering weird combinations that just somehow work. Um, you know, if you've, if you've got a recipe that calls for herbs and it says use coriander and you don't have coriander, you're going to go out and buy coriander. Whereas if you only had mint on hand and that was all you had and that was all you could make do with, you might try and remake the recipe and it would either work or it wouldn't and you'd either be delighted or you wouldn't. 
financially and experimentally, it'd be a more interesting thing to do and a better thing to do. <clears throat> Which leads me on to the, the issue of food waste uh, in, in general. Now, I haven't, I haven't explored it enough um, to be able to, to write anything about it because I, I think I do need to be a bit delicate in how, in, in how I speak about it. I think that some people uh, have different views on it because of, you know, we have busy lives and we, we buy too much and we throw away and, and we don't actually, a lot of people don't actually know how to store their foods properly um, so that they do keep well. But as, as part of my job, I get to visit um, a lot of retail outlets and it's just horrifying seeing the amount of food that is thrown away. You know, whole cauliflower heads who that maybe slightly blemished or something like that and they'd be thrown out you know, by the bucket loads type of thing. <clears throat> or when I, when, when I go to the, the, um, the markets and um, I, I often dumpster dive to collect food for the chickens. There's, I have never been brave enough to dumpster dive. I've, yeah, like it's like you see that they throw away whole boxes of a dozen rock melons at a time uh, because maybe a couple of them are a bit squishy wonky. or rotten or wonky. It's just like the. Like because I grow things in the backyard, and and you you watch your plants grow every day, and and you you wait in the anticipation and the rewards that you get for eating food that's come from your your own efforts, uh, and then to see it wasted is is it's it, it hurts. It, I, I get angry watching um, people throw away food and just like giant bins full of stuff that could be donated or, or used if someone just had a little bit more care. So occasionally when I go to the markets, I'll, I'll grab a cardboard box and I just fill it with whatever's still edible and I just give it to the chooks. Sometimes I'll come home with a hessian bag full size full of lettuce. Um, sometimes... The, the fruit that, that we, we collect is actually good enough for us to eat, so we eat it. As well as living on a dollar a day, Tony is also donating $25 a day to charity. His donations will go to Second Bite. Second Bite is a national not-for-profit organisation which rescues fresh surplus food and redistributes this to the community and vulnerable people through Australia. Their research and development team works to identify ways to end hunger and increase nutrition for the one million Australians who struggle to find food for their daily and weekly meals. If you'd like to get involved too, start by going to the Teacher Man to Grow Facebook page. There is a link to Tony's Everyday Hero page where you can donate to Second Bite as well. What do you think is the crux of that problem? Is it that the supermarkets and stores are over-anticipating what we want or is that we're over-anticipating what we want and affecting what the supermarkets buy? I think it's definitely a two-way street um, is how I see it. Um, as consumers, we demand that supermarkets and suppliers have everything that we could want at any time so 
these days, you will have cherries all year round. Um, oranges, there is no time in the year where we don't have oranges and apples, right? So not even going to start on the, you know, the, the, the fruit and, and, and produce that they, they store and gas um, to, for, to keep long. Um, but it's just just in order for them to keep up with our our demand, they they've got a they've got a stockpile or this or this produce, and on a large scale, I think it's very hard to manage the the produce and align it with the demand at the time. So you know, we have these cooking shows that that show you how to make a great mango dish, for example. And suddenly that week, everyone will go nuts and go out and look for mangoes. But if if that's not mango season, exactly. So they they'll have to um, import it or or acquire it from somewhere, and they'll probably over overcompensate the the man and and order too much. And then what what happens is the stores or, or the people that are, that are managing. The, the produce departments um, don't look after the fruit and veg well and basically you, you see a rot on the shelf. It, it ends up in the bin mm. or um, yeah. you know, I, it's I just think... too much for them to manage and, and they'll throw it out before it even reaches the shelf. It goes from the cold storage room straight into the bin. I've seen that thousands of times having spent so much time in supermarkets. And I think we do underestimate how much control that supermarkets have over the supply chain. Um, we assume as consumers that what they have on the shelves is just what they've been able to buy. We don't realise that they have such power over the suppliers to be able to say, provide us with this. Yeah, and they, they have to work very, very hard to meet the demand and the deadlines and the, the, the quality of, um, of fruit um, and veg that is uh, expected. Mm. For me, at least, I find that I'm far enough removed from the food chain, the food supply chain, that um, I don't necessarily know really truly when avocado season is, when pomegranate season is. How do you know? I don't because I don't have to, I don't really think about it. It's, it's almost like I've always kind of known if you know what I mean, I think a really good indicator is uh, what's what's on special and and what's uh, prevalent uh, on on the shelves. That's that's usually a good indicator of of what's currently in season. So, um, I'm also finding that that once again back to my terrible gardener theme and the fact that I am a terrible gardener. Um, one of the things that I'm discovering is in my terrible gardener ethos um, is where I'm completely experimental and trying things out. The things that work in particular seasons, I should take note of <laughs> when I'm gardening. It's like if this actually works in this season and it's in the shops in this season, then it's probably grown in this season. If it's not, if it's a complete failure, if I'm trying to grow strawberries in the middle of winter and they're in the shops, then maybe those ones that are in the shops are not actually seasonal veg and fruit. Yes. yes. But the uh, the shops don't really do us any favours by supplying all fruit and veg all year round. For example, even if when you go to one of the large um, 
hardware change and have a have a, a gardening section. There are certain vegetables that they sell all year round. However, they won't actually grow very well. So it's almost it's slightly unethical for them to be able to sell seedlings of certain types when they know that you're not, not right. going to be successful putting them in the ground. I've had some great moments where, um, especially just recently, I, I bought some, um, what was it? It was some broccoli, the romesco, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, that lovely sort of spiraled broccoli slash cauliflower that, that comes up this fractal shape. Oh, romesco. Yes. Yes. Bought some of that. So from a local franchise Cheney type store, um, and I bought it on special. They had it on sale. It actually wasn't that at all. When I got it into the garden, um, it, I think it was broccoli rabe or raby. Um, so it, it turned into very broccolini-style shoots that were very dry and spindly and seedy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they, they definitely, the, when you're talking about franchises, what they have on deals and what they mislabel um, as available that's there. They, they, they really don't actually advertise what they're selling you properly. They're not careful no, about it at all. Not at all. all. Not at all. And, and, and to make you feel better, I've, I've actually never been able to grow a decent broccoli. I think. This year I managed it. Did you? After my fiasco <laughs> with that broccoli... Um, I went to and bought seedlings um, from another chain and bought better ones, obviously, and I've, I've managed to get about three decent heads of broccoli. Go you! And I'm really happy with them. Um, I like broccoli. It, it's a great vegetable, and I have one of those recipes that that when you grow broccoli is the most fantastic thing you can do. It's a, a pasta recipe that uses the broccoli stems as well as the florets, um, yep. and you use the broccoli stems to, you, you cut off the florets, you steam those separately, but with a stem, you chop it up, you fry it until it's nice and soft, and you fry it with some bacon, preferably with anchovies, but John doesn't like anchovies, so you know, when your partner doesn't like anchovies, you're cut out of doing that, um, and then you make it into a pesto. So you've got this broccoli stem pesto, You've got your florets, you cook your fresh pasta, um, and then you combine all of those things with some lovely fresh Parmesan cheese, and it's the best recipe for fresh broccoli ever. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Teaching Man to Grow is supported by Create Storytime. Create Storytime is an iPad and iPhone app that lets you and your child create professional-looking storybooks. You can choose from many beautiful illustrations to inspire your storytelling and create a fun and educational storytelling experience. Create Storytime is for kids aged 6 to 8 and their parents. To find out more and to join the mailing list, go to createstorytime.com.